Welcome to the Pet Show with Jimmy Jelinek and Dennis Quaid. Today on the pet show is the actor, comedian, and variety game show host Howie Mandel. For the past 40 years, Mandel has been an almost ubiquitous presence in American television screens. From his breakout role on NBC's medical drama St. Elsewhere, to his various stand up specials, Bobby's World animated series, along with his later work hosting the zeitgeist capturing Deal or No Deal, Mandel occupies a unique place within the cultural landscape. He was the voice of Gizmo and the Gremlins. No, no. What happened? He hates bright lights. And Bunsen Honeydew on Muppet Babies. All of this while also maintaining a thriving stand-up career and earning multiple Emmy nominations for Bobby's World. He's quite simply everywhere and has been for a very long time. It's the type of rare career longevity in Hollywood that many seek, but few seem to master. And if Tom Hanks is America's dad, then Howie Mandel is its fun uncle, ready to pull a prank on you and film your response which makes sense considering his often hilarious hidden camera work on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Nowadays, he's the longest serving cast member on America's Got Talent, where he holds court alongside Simon Cowell, Terry Crews, Sofia Vergara, and Heidi Klum. The show, which first premiered in 2006, has grown to become a staple of NBC's primetime lineup and a valuable ratings tool for the network. And Mandel is the show's heart and smart Alex sense of humor. It's to Mandel that the show's various performers seem to most relate. Most recently, he revealed to the nation his struggles with OCD and germophobia. All of this was before the current pandemic hit, which he feels vindicates his point of view to a degree. Nonetheless, it makes for a very interesting discussion around the topic of pets. How does a man for whom dust causes great consternation enjoy the chaotic, sloppy affection of a dog or overly affectionate cat? On top of that, Mandel is now the host of his second show, National Geographic explores animals doing things. A spin-off from the wildly popular Instagram page featuring hilarious pet memes and outstanding videos of dogs doing really funny things. Mandel serves as the series' executive producer and narrator, showcasing the best in breed, so to speak. We caught up with Howie Mandel a few weeks ago from his backyard where he talked to us about renting his wife an elephant, buying a parrot for Howard Stern, and just what makes for a great dog video. Howie Mandel, welcome to the Pet Show. Last week, I actually interviewed the guys from Animals Doing Things about the meme page itself and how they curate the various dog videos. How did you come to the project? Uh, just a fan, you know. I just I'm a fan of. Uh, well, I'm on the internet all the time, twenty four seven. I, you know, I have an extreme case of FOMO. You know, if you're missing out. So, uh, you know, I found the, their websites and I was, I found that I was sharing all these dog videos and animal videos. Not only was I watching and enjoying, but I started sharing them with my wife and, uh, you know, office mate. Actually, somebody in my office was the first one, Kimmy, who, who heads up our development, saw it and we were just sharing and laughing at them. And then we just said, you know, this is also a good TV show. You know, I'm in the business of finding 
different ways to take media in other directions than they are first delivered. So whether, you know, even from a TV show, can we create a little digital piece that adds on? And that's what everybody's doing. You know, after a show, you can join somebody for the podcast. By the same token, after you see something on media, can that become a TV show? There's no magic behind it. I just said, I love this. I'm constantly trying to develop and and create content. And I showed that to the people at Nat Geo Wild. And I said, I love this. And this is what I watch. And this is what I do. And they said, we love it too. And I said, I wouldn't change it. If you want me to add my voice to it, I'll add my voice to it and help curate from what is already curated brilliantly. And they said, okay. So we did a couple of seasons of that. So so speaking about that that curation, good Really good meme pages are a lot like good joke writing in that there's a, you know, there's a ton of churn, there's a ton of volume to get to the meat. Have you discovered in your process of working with these guys, like what makes for the perfect pet video? Is there a certain equation where you get to the gold of a really good pet meme video? No. <laughs> you know, I don't analyze what, the, and it's not even the, the, the memes weren't necessarily the most, what was great for me, just from a, it, it was kind of boring television production, but because they had already done the work, the, all the clips we used were directly from the Instagram site. Okay. So, we already had analytics. If I looked at something and they already had a hundred million clicks, okay. on it, then I said that that would be something we would use in the show because this is already tried and proven. Right. Yeah, because I was I was I was talking to the guys directly, just in on like what their process is, and I mean the idea that there's a process behind creating a dog meme video, but there actually is in terms of they spend a lot of time working on the like the voice of those pages and the very specific humor and the language, and uh, I was pretty impressed just with how they the world and the universe that they were able to create around the idea of dog videos. I I don't know that it's necessarily dog videos. I don't know that we use dog. Well, dogs are the most common. I mean, animal videos in general. It's a, it's a wide, (laughs) I know it's a wide variety. Right. And we didn't even use the memes, you know, that much. It didn't, memes don't really translate to television. So we were using clips, you know, Mm -hmm. the actual clips from videos. And sometimes we took those clips that were already huge and we turned an already huge clip into a meme for, if you will, but it's not really a meme on television. Yeah. We would change the context and the verbiage under it. So we didn't really deal in the world of memes. We were dealing in the world of video and it's basically a clip show. There's no magic behind it. If they were, if this was a very shareable, already uh, viral clip, then it ended up on our show. Excellent. Now, now you didn't grow up with pets, but you, you've said in, in the past that your wife is a, a serial rescuer of things. Uh, yes. What's, what's currently in your menagerie at the moment? Right now at the moment, there are two dogs. At any given time, that, that expands, and they don't necessarily have to be dogs, and they don't necessarily have to be anything that really wanted to be rescued, but my wife feels that she's rescuing things, so that's... You know, she cares for things. I'll tell you, like, uh, to give you an example of how it works for me is I I came home one day and uh, the phone was ringing and I answered the phone and they said, is uh, Mrs. Mandel there? And she was not. And I said, can I leave her a message? And the the woman said, you know, it's uh, Sarah from the Wildlife Way Station. Tell her that her crow has been released. Her crow? I didn't know we had a crow. I didn't know that she wanted to be updated on crow's release dates. 
I don't really understand. Maybe it was a criminal crow that has just been released on good behavior. But as it turns out, something, you know, if she finds that this was a necessity, but, you know, if she won't drive by any ailing animal of any species without scooping it up and taking it to wherever it, it is best served. Now, as a prank, you, you got her an elephant for a little while, correct? No, not for a little while. Well, yeah, this is a weird story. So she's, a, she's an animal lover, and I wanted to give her a really nice surprise. So at the time, I made some phone calls, and there, there is a, a place that takes care of uh, animals that are not in the zoo or that were owned. Anyway, they, they take these and through a charity help fund to care for that. So I said, it might be nice. And if it's not a problem, can I bring one into the backyard? Because it's my wife's birthday. And um, I, I, paid, I paid for it. And not just uh, financially. I'm still paying for it today. <laughs> so they delivered a, an elephant. I have the, I've, I've actually posted pictures of it. They delivered an elephant. I brought my, I don't really plan. And uh, it was her birthday. And she walked out into the backyard and I had gotten her and it was an elephant. And, but I didn't invite anybody. And so the elephant was there. It was just my wife and an elephant in the yard. And she goes, really, is this it? And you can't, you know, and to care for an elephant, it can't just get back in a truck. You know? <laughs> so it was there for um, a day. But what I didn't think about is the ramification. An elephant is a very heavy animal. So, and it's warm here and we wanted to keep it comfortable. We hosed it and gave it a, but, but when you hose off an animal to cool it off, um, the, the ground gets muddy, but when it's an elephant, an elephant will sink into the lawn and it broke my, um, system, my sprinkler system that broke. And then obviously the animal eats and uh, very good metabolism, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> we did not, I did not hire a cleanup crew, but, uh, when an elephant defecates, it's not yard worthy. And also, uh, they're kind of playful. And we had some uh, trees that the elephant, uh, I guess out of boredom, wrapped its trunk around and pulled out. And then the elephant uh, left. There was, uh, I think, close to $30,000 worth of damage. The next day, the, uh, the gardener shows up and there's giant holes in the, where the elephant sunk into the ground that broke the sprinkler. There's probably 40 pounds of elephant feces Piles, giant piles. And, and we have like a Yorkie and a Chihuahua. So there's, you know, it just looked like, uh, you know, the, uh, there was a major problem. And the trees were lying. They had, they, had, uh, they were on their side. And he said, Sir, what, what, what happened here? And I, I didn't want to say we had an elephant. I just said it was my wife's birthday. I don't know what's going on in his mind, like all this damage in the backyard from my wife's birthday, but uh, it did look like she enjoyed herself and then uh, crapped herself beyond. <laughs> It's the greatest rock and roll party ever with an elephant. With, with 40 pounds of crap. <laughs> so uh, speaking of your, uh, of your dog, so your Yorkie's name's Coco, right? And then, and then Lola is the Chihuahua. I've, I've done my research. Um, are you a dog person? Like, do the dogs get in the bed? Like, is, it, is, is it one of those dogs? No, no, no. I, I, I love animals. I, uh, you know, and um, it's no secret that I uh, am not, I'm a, a bit of a germaphobe like everybody now, but even <laughs> before now. So no, I don't, I like to have them around and they're there, but I'm not, I don't want to lie with them or really be licked by them. <laughs> the same thing goes for family members. I, yeah. I don't, 
lie with them or be licked by them. So it's not, I don't treat them any different than family members. Lola, by the way, the little chihuahua has, has had some a brush with fame. Uh, Lola, I had to call in. The dog was dog. Free, right? You're, you're right. And, and because uh, for those that don't know, Lola hates me. Lola, I don't know that Lola hates me. Lola loves my wife and nobody is allowed to be even in the same room as my wife or make any uh, movement toward my wife, even if that, that movement toward her is from 10 feet away. So I, I'm the only one, the only other person that lives here. So I am uh, not allowed within the perimeter and I'm constantly attacked by this little chihuahua. Let me just say that the dog whisperer who did a wonderful thing, he said it was us that had to change or her, my wife had to change her behavior. So I'm calling a wife whisperer when this thing's all over <laughs> to train my wife to get Lola to stop attacking me. So what did Caesar do to, to help uh, fix whatever, whatever territorial issues Lola was having with you? It's more about her, you know, Lola, she really coddles Lola and Lola has become a one person dog who feels th that uh, Lola feels that her lot in life is just to protect my wife from any imminent danger. And apparently I'm imminent danger. So, you know, I, I thought from, uh, I didn't really listen because uh, too closely, but it, it was about how much he was coddling and holding. And I, I don't really understand. But, but what I just was his process? Like, like, did he come into the house? Did he stay with you guys? Like, uh, how did that work? Yeah, he spent a day here. And, and you know what? He is a miracle worker. When, when my wife did whatever was uh, asked of her, I mean, I could walk in and Lola sat happily beside me. And uh, on the episode, everybody saw it. He did work a miracle. And then uh, Caesar left the house and my wife reverted back to her, her old ways. I think she likes being protected from me. It could be. Could I think be. it is. <laughs> I saw an Instagram post where, though, you were able to, to train her to put on a COVID mask. The dog? Yeah. I don't know that I remember that, but uh, I would imagine... Yeah, I remember that wrong? Okay, so I... Sorry. A COVID mask on my dog? I've never... I don't, I don't think I've ever put any clothing or, or <laughs> anything on the dog. I couldn't get close to the dog. How did I put a COVID mask on it? I have no idea. I'm so, I, I must have... Click something. I think that's somebody else's. I don't know because our because when it comes to at least Lola, uh, Lola just by nature social distances herself from me, or make sure that I social distance myself from my wife. She is my social distancing tool, <laughs> Lola. I, I I read an interview where you said Simon Cowell could be a dog trainer. In, Simon in Cowell uh, loves dogs, probably, and animals more than he's ever, well, I shouldn't say more than any human being. He's a, a great father and a great friend, but there is nobody that has a warmer place in their heart. You know, uh, obviously, when you watch television, television is edited, but I don't think we've ever had any animal on our show that he has not gone up on the stage or backstage after they have performed or if he knew that they were in the building before they have performed where he hasn't spent quality time with that animal above and beyond any other human being that is on the show. I mean, he just, he is truly an animal lover. You described at his house that it was like a circus. The dogs were doing flips and walking on their hind legs. 
I never saw that. I, oh, I don't know. Is, is that another article that you're mixing me up with? With the it must be the person that put the COVID thing. Uh, on the you know what? I, I must I must be doing terrible research. Um, no, you're doing research, but the, and and it's probably really good research. It's just you got to match the research with the guest with the right. It's person. good research. Yeah, I I never saw him. I don't think he's ever trained his dogs to do anything but sit with him and enjoy him and and be with him. I've never seen him do a uh, have a dog do a trick. Right. Okay. You've seen probably every manner of animal act on on America's Got Talent. What's the strangest you saw? Like, is there one that stayed with you that didn't make the cut but was just absolutely incredible? I think the the ones that were incredible did make the cut. I think there was a, a woman who had trained mice, but literally trained mice that listen. I didn't know that you could train a mouse to listen to you, to uh, react to commands and to do feats of strength. So that was on our show. I didn't know that that was possible. There's also a gentleman on our show this year that has uh, trained pigs. In fact, I was taping till three o'clock in the morning last night, the center cuts. You will see this guy has a, I think it's almost a thousand pound pig that he lives in an apartment with. (laughs) I guess when you live in a place that says no dogs, you- Yeah, I guess the pig's acceptable. And I I, I saw somewhere that you guys had the the water skiing squirrel a couple of years ago, but that it wound up urinating on, on Nick Cannon's suit. Yes. Yeah. But that's only because um, squirrels, uh, I think that's how a squirrel says, hey, thanks for having me on. I I love you. I'm going to pee on you. Yes, that's just they're just marking their territory. And I don't think of it as a negative. As an actor in in, with a long history in in Hollywood and also as an entertainer, you've been around a lot of animal acts, but you must have you must have worked with a ton of trained animals over the years. Is there. Have you worked with every like? Have you worked with primates, with chimpanzees and orangutans? I have, I have. The scariest thing I had was uh, I did a, um, a a movie in the eighties called Walk Like a Man, where I was supposedly uh, raised Bobo. by. Yes, I was Bobo. I was raised by a pack of wolves, and on that set they had real wolves, trained wolves. Where have you been for the last twenty-eight years? I was beginning to get worried. He was raised by wolves. 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 There were scenes where they would actually, you know, I'd be on the ground sleeping when they were showing those the wolves and a real pack of wolves, and they'd put wolf food on me. I don't know. I don't know exactly what it was that they were put on, but they would put it on me, and I'd lie there, and there was I was surrounded by wolves who were sniffing it and eating it off of my body. But I, I was actually really nervous. But as it turns out, I'm, I was safe. I wasn't injured and the wolves were all treated wonderfully, but I thought that was kind of a weird and w- wonderful experience. But yeah, I've worked with primates. I mean, I, I, I did a talk show for a season, uh, the, the Howie Mandel show and, you know, a mainstay in talk shows is always to have the, you know, animal Joan Embry. Yeah, but I didn't have a Joan Embry. As it turns out, I had, I'm trying to remember what his name is, but he's in the, one of those guys in, uh, w- did you see the Tiger King? Yes. What's the guy's name uh, that has the harem of women? Doc Antle from Myrtle Zoo. Can he make noises? Does he make noises? Come here, will you I hear, talk to me? I, th- I hear that he sings. Will you talk to me? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> I would say that's a noise. I would say that's so a noise. Did. You know, the front row is not getting the best view. Oh! Look at that. Look how huge oh that God. kid is, huh? That's yeah, so if you noise. Google Doc Antle and Howie Mandel, he was on my show with a liger. 
you know, uh, which is like the, the biggest uh, a combination of a tiger and a lion. And he, he brought that on. He was always our animal expert. So he brought it on. So that I didn't even remember that until Tiger Kim Tiger King became all the rage and people were Googling that and people were sending me clips of me and Doc Antle. I had no idea. I was part of the How well Tiger did you King. know him or did you just know him as, as the animal guy and he came on your show? I, you know, he was just a guest that came on the show um, more than once, you know, but I was only on for a year, but uh, more than once. I remember the animals more than I remember Doc. And I remember the liger. The liger was, you know, on its hind legs about 11 or 12 or 13 feet, like twice the size of any human being. They had to get on a ladder to like feed it if they got it on its hind legs. But it was a, a pretty epic to be number one indoors in a studio up against an animal that size with that kind of power it was kind of scary but I'll, I'll never forget it i didn't i i'll i'll never forget the liger i forgot about doc Handel. i was reading something about uh how people were talking about how, how carson was amazing with animals that he was he was so sharp and he was so attuned like when he'd work with joan Embry, that he could anticipate what they were going to do like uh, as an actor you know i know that wc field said never work with children or animals that is there anything as, you know, as an entertainer where that you took away from working with animals in, in terms of helping you or how better to work with them? No. You know, I usually just listen to the expert that is uh, there and who brings the animals. I, I would imagine that uh, animals and working with animals is a lot less complicated than working with human beings. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out how to work with humanity. Animals kind of make sense. You know, they really do. I mean, uh, an animal does not really ask that much of us and, but anything but respect and goodwill. And, uh, I'm very happy to share that with, uh, with an animal. I actually, uh, I never found, you know, I, I've heard WC Fields take on don't work with animals, but I think that was more about being upstaged than it being a problem. Yeah. 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 Okay. It draws, it just draws, you know, if, if you're on a screen with a, a, an amazing animal or an adorable little kid, uh, truthfully, uh, I don't think anybody's noticing you. So, and a lot of people get into this business because, uh, we want to be noticed and it's all about me and look at me. But I'm very happy to uh, share the screen with any kind of animal. Yeah, I'm, I'm so fascinated with the, the animal trainers, celebrity, that, the ecosystem that's, that lives on sort of the margins of Hollywood being booked into movies and acts and the basis of the, even like Tarzana being founded as a city around animal training just to, i just I, I find that whole history i didn't even know that is that why it's called yeah. tarzana yeah that was that's where the animals for the tarzan's films were kept and then the, uh th that community was built around it apparently wow so um, beverly hills is where they kept a woman named beverly <laughs> I guess so. Or the hillbillies came. Or <laughs> yes. So, I, yeah, you know, it's always a big part of any kind of show business. You know, and America's got talent. The animal acts, they do uh, persevere. Like uh, it's people are, you know, engaged in animal acts. And we've even, uh, you know, uh, the Olate dogs who were, you know, went off to win the million dollar prize, you know, so we've had an animal act you know, go all the way. People love that. There's something there for everybody. It's great co-viewing for the whole audience. Anybody can identify with just enjoying watching an animal. And whether, whereas a human being comes on our show, it's 
if they fail or they don't uh, rise to the occasion, you know, they just go by the wayside. But an animal, you're a lot more forgiving. It, it's sometimes <laughs> even better when the act doesn't really work out the way it was supposed to work out because you just the joy of watching, you know, them just kind of uh, navigate in a different way is, you know, joyful. Did you work with any chimps or orangutans ever? I have, you know, obviously throughout the years being on on shows. And uh, I think people are, are fascinated by primates and uh, they be, w- whether they were guests on the shows or whether they were in little movies I've done or, or other things. I, I've been on the set with chimps and orangutans. I don't know that much about them. Yeah, I'm yeah, fascinated yeah. by them. I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're volatile. I mean, how would it work on... On sets, if you want a chimp in Hollywood or, or back then, with like, who was the go-to company for chimpanzees? And- I couldn't tell you who the go-to <laughs> chimp guy was. I was never involved with procuring. I just happened to be there and shared, you know, uh, a screen with one. I don't know where you get a chimp. I know where to get an elephant. That's the only animal I know where to get. And all our all our uh, pets are from rescues, you know. So I know to go. To, I know where shelters are. Right. So I, I haven't been to a shelter that had a chimp. So you had no problems with the chimps on set. They were well-trained. Like they were, There was no issues there. I, ha- I don't have chimp issues, if that's what you're asking. Yes, <laughs> I've never. <laughs> Do you follow any of the uh, pet influencers, like Doug the Pug or, uh, or, well, rest in peace now, Little Bob, you know, all, all, those, cert- all those famous pets that are popping up on, on Instagram. Do you have a favorite or do, do you follow any of them? Mm, I, uh, I'm aware of them and I do click on them because I just want to know what's growing. I, I do. You know, I think the first one that made it big on uh, social media was Grumpy Cat, right? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's the face of, he was the face of coffee. Like he got licensed to death almost the, the, that one. Yeah. So that I think it's good. There's also a lady that my son knows that has uh, also a, I don't know what kind of primate it is, but it is a, a monkey. It is a, yeah, there's a bunch of them in the, in the pug and I follow them and I know where they are. I don't, I haven't worked with any of the influencers with yeah. their animals. You know, I haven't it's collaborated. Just, it, it's just, an, I, I, I sort of refer to it as an emerging pet culture. The entire sort of pet content ecosystem that has arisen since Instagram and social media, where there's this, you know, 24 hour pet content there are these pet influencers, and now there's even these direct-to-consumer pet brands that have launched and sort of attached themselves around this. And it's, it, uh, and it's all within the past few years. And, and that includes like animals doing things. So it's, it's, it's sort of an interesting world that you found yourself in, that it's, and it's growing like mad as well. Yeah, yeah, obviously, you know, I mean, there is a, a great connection to animals. And uh, since social media has come upon us, what better way to fuel uh, like clicks and engagement than showing people exotic or wonderful or funny little scenarios, including animals? I saw the tanked episode where uh, uh, those guys built an amazing aquarium for uh, was it was it for your manager? So this thing that's supposed to be here to calm me down is costing me $500 a month and I'm going to be hearing (laughs) and I'll be going, somebody feed the fish. Well, they built one for me also, but yes, I did one in the, in my office. I have one in my office, which was an episode of Tank where they did it. It was, uh, I call it my think tank because it's, uh, it's in the shape of my head. 
and uh, the coral is in the shape of the brain and uh, all the eels and the fish that they put in uh, swim around my mind. There's a view inside what I would imagine is going on inside my head. Something fishy is going on in there. See what I did? Are you a big fish guy in general? I don't know a lot about I'm not knowledgeable, but I do enjoy. There is, it's, it's incredibly calming. And I can't tell you how many minutes a day I spend in my office uh, not being productive, but just looking in the tank and uh, in awe of, you know, this little ecosystem that lives, you know, it's very calming and very and, and wonderful, but they're, they're, they're well prepared for. They're incredibly complicated upkeep with this, these salt crate, just the maintenance of a saltwater ecosystem. I mean, it's- Well, you're telling me I pay the bill every month. Yes, it's incredibly expensive. And uh, I have to buy, a, you know, a, I have a, a filter system that I have to buy that takes up a whole other room. I have to hire people to help me maintain, especially, as you said, with a saltwater tank. It's really tough because that the level, the whatever the, the level of the salt in the water and the mixture has to be just perfect. Otherwise, they're very delicate. Um, well, they might be sturdy in their own environment, but they're, it, it's, it's hard to maintain. It really is hard to maintain. Tell me about, I was reading this story that you told about, it was a prank you pulled that went awry where you bought a bunch of parakeets for Howard. And, and I didn't Howard. buy them. At the end of the seasons on AGT and uh, and the end of seasons, I guess, on any television show, you know, you have a, a rap party, you know, where they wrap the production and uh, your co-workers, you can give them little rap gifts, you know, little gifts. You buy a little uh, picture frame, candles, whatever. And we were shooting in, in New York City and I thought it would be funny to give kind of an inconvenient gift would be really funny. And the, the, where we got the idea is I was walking down some street in Manhattan and there was a, a pet store and they had, and it said exotic birds. And I walked in and they had all these parakeets, you know, for sale, uh, hundreds of parakeets. And I just said, listen, I, I don't want to do anything that would endanger these, but I think it would be really funny. And I don't live in New York, so I don't want them. If I had, uh, if I could is there any way that I could rent parakeets and you guys take care of them? So I want, I want about maybe 20 in cages and I want them delivered to Radio City Music Hall and we'll wrap the cage and then I'll, I'll present it to everybody. And it'll be really funny. Like, why would you give somebody a parakeet? Like, what am I going to do with this parakeet? Maybe I don't even like parakeets. I just thought it would be funny and they would land there and everybody would kind of laugh. And then there was an addition to the joke. So the joke was that I had these parakeets and they were delivered in a truck at the end. I go, wait till you see your, your rap gift. And they were presented, every of my co-judges and Howard Stern were presented from Howie. Great season. Congratulations. The guy would lay down the cage with a little parakeet in it and hand them a note. I made these cards and the note said that, you know, whatever i made up some species of parakeet these are special exotic parakeets and uh, i did for every one of them they had like a 20 page care <laughs> brochure that said that the parakeets cannot be left for more than 15 minutes in temperatures under 79 degrees it's always <laughs> got to be kept in the 80s because these are south american parakeets and they have to be fed uh, up to 16 times a day, and they'll only eat it. The instructions were so, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. 
you know, and, and these are very delicate uh, parakeets that only live two and a half years, I said. And then I would, each of them were presented with the, the name of their parakeet and the age of their parakeet. And most of them, I wrote down that the age was like uh, two years, two months. So they had to be kept <laughs> at 80 degrees. They were going to pass away in two months. It was like the, the most horrible gift yeah. that you would want to get. But nobody thought of it as a joke. Everybody who took these and Howard Stern said, well, why would you do it? You know, it was also an animal advocate. You know, why would you do this? Why would you give us a parakeet that has to be kept in a certain environment? And, and I, I don't know how I can take care of this. This is, this is endangering the animals. And I think he said that. And then Peter called me. You know, it wasn't real. But but here's the the thing. The only one I returned them, and then I said they were a joke. And, you know, the the people from the pet store were were, uh, waiting, and they returned them, except for Mel B. Mel B said, is there any way I could have mine? And I also like the one that you gave Howard Stern. So I bought them for her because she loved the birds. I'll never forget this. We flew home. You know, NBC would fly us because we Mel B, Heidi, me, and Nick Cannon at the time lived in L.A. and right. we shot in New York. Right. So on show nights when it was live, they would fly us on an NBC plane to New York. And then after the show, they would fly us back to L.A. So she asked for the two birds. I bought the two birds and Mel B loved, loves animals. And in the, in the plane, she, she opened the cage and uh, for five hours, we spent trying to capture the bird. I don't know why she took them out of the cage, but the they were wild. Plane, the private plane's flying. She let, and she's like, oh, the birds need air. And, and, she, and she lets them out, and they just start. Yeah, she wanted them out. She didn't think it was right to keep them in the cage. And then the uh, flight attendant, uh, apparently, which is so weird for a flight attendant, she said she has a, a horrible, unexplainable fear of birds. That's a flight attendant doesn't like is afraid of the one animal that is closest to her profession and so she was screaming and locked herself up in the cockpit and we spent five and a half hours trying to capture these uh these birds that were loose in the cabin and nobody got to eat nobody got coffee because the uh flight Mm -hmm. attendant was so five hours i was parched i didn't have anything to drink i had nothing to eat and i was on a parakeet hunt from a five-hour flight from coast to coast. But uh, happily, we recaptured them. No injuries, nothing, and they were put in the cages. And I think to this day, Mel B still has those birds. <laughs> That's all the time we have today on The Pet Show. Thank you, Howie Mandel. You can see him every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. on America's Got Talent on NBC. And watch the fourth season of Animals Doing Things on National Geographic Explorer. The Pet Show is brought to you by Audio Up Media. Written and produced and hosted by me, Jimmy Jelinek, with co-host Dennis Quaid. Executive producers are Jared Gutstadt and David Hurwitz. Our editor is Bill Marked, and our story producer is Emma Rapold. We'll talk to you next week. Don't forget to cuddle your pet.